This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursday each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. This podcast is sponsored by Harrington Interactive Media. Working on a book? Let us help you get it to print. We can edit your book, design the cover, and help you list it on Amazon's print-on-demand services. See examples of our work and connect with us at harringtoninteractive.com. In this episode, Chip Arnold shares his talk called Falling Into My Father's Arms, recorded on August 1st, 2019. I was thinking this morning about um, what it means um, to live as a follower of Jesus in the crazy world we live in. And, And the scripture that came to mind first was, Blessed be the Lord our God, the God of our salvation, who daily bears our burdens. And the first thing that happens as a follower of Jesus is that you begin to notice that your life changes incrementally. Usually, sometimes it's a radical quick change, but you notice that your burden doesn't go away, but you have someone that helps you carry your burden, and his name is Jesus. And then you realize that you are invited into a community of faith, a community of life, And the brothers around these tables, the brothers that we find, uh, wherever we find them, are are the ones who are designed and and qualified and capable of carrying the burdens that we have. And we we have burdens that we need to have carried. And and this is the the Gemeinschaft uh, from the German, the fellowship, this common fellowship that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, where you you can find a guy that you don't even know, and the light in his eyes and, and, and the life of, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in him, he too can be one who can carry your burdens and you can carry his. And so we come into places like this with everything that we've got, um, more promise breakers than promise keepers, right? Yeah, right? They, they, they named the thing wrong. Um, <laughs> You know, and 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 at the and we come with these imperfections, and yet we we have this incredible promise uh, from Jesus that um, that the apostles talk about, where He is committed to conforming us. The Father is committed to conforming us to the image of His dear Son. And when I look at my life, I go, How in the world is that going to be possible? That I'm actually going to look like Jesus to other people. And yet sometimes I hear somebody say, Wes, you were Jesus to me. And I see that in you too. I want you to have the encouragement this morning that this is what is going on in your life, whether you see it or not. We are, we are in such um, a, a philosophic, anthropological, sociological, and theological environment where we have focused so much on this idea of the depravity that is within us because we still see our tendency to do things that are wrong. And we are forgotten that we are sons. 
And I'm here to remind you, we are sons of the Most High God. We are sons, and we are his brothers. And he says, I no longer call you servants, but friends, because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have told you everything that I and my father are doing. I'm reading the book of Acts really slowly, as slowly as I can, in a different language so that I have to actually stop and see it. And this little phrase stuck out to me the other day. Uh, Peter and John are, are, are doing miracles. Peter has been in prison. They've been, they've been praying for Peter to be released. The angel uh, gets him out in the middle of the night. It's an amazing story. You should go back and read it again. And um, the little phrase that comes after all this prayer and all the things that are happening, and, and uh, they're told not to proclaim the name of Jesus. And they just go do it anyway. Who cares? The government telling us we can't talk about Jesus? Who are they? Come on. This, we're going to talk about Jesus. And this little phrase says, and the hand of the Lord was upon them. And I started to cry. I want to be a part of life in Williamson County, Davidson County, Middle Tennessee, where the hand of the Lord our God is upon us to do the work of the kingdom and to have our life together transformed by Jesus. I long for the peaceable kingdom, don't you? I long for the peaceable kingdom. That seems to be escaping us more and more as we focus on our partisan differences. And I'm calling us and calling myself, calling you to the kingdom of God and to the ambassadorship in Christ. You are ambassadors. Therefore, God has given us this ministry of reconciliation as though Christ in us were calling the world to be reconciled to himself. And this is our mission. This is why we gather. And this is what we do. It's always a great joy to um, throw uh, these friends of mine up here in front of you. <laughs> uh, and and uh, Chip Arnold is no different. You know, he drove from Portland today to come be with us. What's that, 2,000 miles? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Strawberry country, Portland, Tennessee, but it's an hour. At least. It's an hour. Uh, most of us who have... Um, lived in this community for a while, know that uh, Chip shows up in, uh, in theaters around uh, the, this community. He's one of the premier actors in, in our community, has been in all sorts of things, uh, is a follower of Jesus. And um, Chip, come on, brother. Give him a welcome. Thank you. I must say, something like this is very unusual for me. I'm much more comfortable in a costume and hair and makeup and saying lines of that have been written by playwrights. I can hide behind that character. So this morning you get raw and unfiltered me. And um, I hope you will still come back in two weeks. I appreciate Larry and uh, Wes inviting me to this. And I asked Larry, I said, are you sure you got the right guy? Because um, I'm not really comfortable like this. And um, he said, I just want you to talk about your relationship with your father. It started, my life in the theater started when I was four years old. And I didn't uh, realize it because it scared me to death. 
my dad was Billy Bigelow in a production of Carousel. And I was in my mother's arms and my uncle, uh, they were seated in the theater. And when it came time for uh, Billy to kill himself, self-inflicted wound with a knife, and he died, I freaked out. And so much so that my mother saying, hey, it's just make-believe, it's just make-believe, that made no sense to me whatsoever. And, and so my uncle had to carry me out of the theater, and um, <clears throat> I wasn't you know, calmed until we went backstage and I saw dad greeting his adoring public. It's, I was like, I was still like the disciples after Jesus' resurrection. I didn't believe it. I had to touch him. And, and I leapt out of my uncle's arms and fell into my, fell into my father's arms. He had no idea what he'd done to me. But that was my introduction into the theater. And in 1970, a lot had happened. That was 1954, so I'm betraying my age. In 1970, a lot had happened between then. It was my next theatrical experience of note. In between those times, I'd been invited to leave high school and seek education elsewhere, not once but twice. Um, <clears throat> um, I'd flunked out of UT. I decided that the life of a hippie was more, f and trying to stop the war in Vietnam and civil rights and all of that was m more exciting. But my dad saw something within me that needed, you know, nurturing. And he was cast in the role of, Man, of Don Quixote in Man of La Mancha. And I'm sure there was something under the table going on because the director hired me. And I think the, the thing that was going on was dad said, if you want me to do this, you got to give a part to my son. And <clears throat> so I got, you know, I went through the audition process poorly but still got a part, Paco the Muleteer. And <laughs> I'm very proud of that role. Um, <clears throat> but I got to watch my dad in his process as an actor and how he took direction from the director and how he... Um, embraced the community because he was a leader and this role was a, a, a role of leadership and so all the cast there's probably 20 of us <clears throat> how he you know was the was a focal point and I got to see him work I got to see him relate to people I got to see him you know just treat people like we want to be treated and I realized in that process, and, and, and I got through it, and, and there's two things that came out at me. I had a little bit of talent, and that I loved doing this, and that I needed more, and secondly, I needed more training. I needed to get my act together and, and really understand my craft. And um, 
So I went to Pepperdine and got my BA from there in, in theater. And then, um, but in this whole time, back up just a, a, a little bit, my parents had the gift of hospitality. And so the world of the theater, the world of education, the world of our faith, even though I wasn't practicing in it at the time, all came around our table. I mean, our, we had people from all over the world, all cultures, all ways of thinking, you know, atheists, and all stripes of humanity would come and sit at our table. And I thought, wow, this is teaching by example. When the AIDS crisis happened, Dad was one of the first people to volunteer for um, Nashville Cares and would take people who were, you know, dying of this disease to their medical appointments. And one time he asked me, he, could, he had a rehearsal and he couldn't take this, this, uh, this young man who had, was staying at our house. Um, he couldn't take him back home. And I got to do it. And I, I was just thinking, this is, this is amazing that, that my parents would welcome all kinds of people around our table and love them, regardless of who they were. So I finished Pepperdine. I'm in this world now of professional acting. I get a job at Opryland. In 1975, I fall in love with the piano player. And, um, and then I go off in the fall of 76 uh, 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 to University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill to be a part of a two-year conservatory. And the, uh, this beautiful young lady we were going to get married. We talked about marriage and that she would come to Chapel Hill and we would just live, you know, be married and go through life. And in 76, in January, I'd, we discussed this plans in, in, in December of 75. And I went back for the second semester of, cha of uh, the acting pro the school. And Dad calls about three weeks later and says, Lee's in the hospital. And she's got leukemia. And so I get on a plane. I come home. We make radical changes in our life. And four days later, she dies of an aneurysm. And I'm crushed. Absolutely crushed. I get on a plane to fly back to Chapel Hill to get, but this is right before she died. And I, I'm on the plane, we're on the tarmac, and the stewardess says, is there a Chip Arnold on this plane? And they said, you know, I came up and she said, there's an emergency phone call for you. I go to the payphone in the airport and call and, and said she's gone into a coma. And I rush back to the hospital. I have 
in my pocket and the cab fare was $7. Wherever that cabbie is, I'm so grateful. He may have just said, hey, it's just seven bucks, <laughs> but I couldn't even give him a tip. But he drove like Hawaii 5-0, you know, to the hospital. And I burst into the emergency room and they're working on her and trying to resuscitate and they could not. And so I walked down the hall and there's my father and I fall into his arms. So from the age four to age 20, almost 26, those are the two falling into my arms of the, my father that bookend this period of my life. And I went into an emotional tailspin. I had nothing. I really didn't. I, you know, the religion that I had at the time, it just didn't work. And that's one of the reasons why I rebelled. The 60s and that whole, you know, vibe of that gave me something to put my energies into, but it was empty in the end. So my parents, I moved back home. I dropped out of school. I couldn't do anything. And I literally stayed in my room for weeks. And my parents, you know, loved me. And I was wrestling. I was like Jacob and the angel wrestling at night. <clears throat> I knew I had to have something. I knew I could not go back to um, religion. I had to have a relationship. And I looked at my father and I looked at my mother and I looked at a few other couples, older kind of surrogate grandparents. I had great grandparents, but these were spiritual grandparents. And they kept they would, I would get messages from my parents from them that they were praying for me and they loved me and they would love to see me whenever I wanted to be seen. And then I met, well, I knew Don Finto before that, but I sat down with Don and he basically said, welcome to Jesus because that's where the transformation is going to happen. That's where the relationship needs to begin. And, it, you know, if you've known Don, or if, uh, and you know that he's the kind of person that just says, hey, let me introduce you to someone. And let's just talk about Jesus. And that's where it began. And it was a slow... I telling Wes, it was a slow drip process. I didn't have a Damascus road. I didn't have a big, you know, woo thing that you <clears throat> write a book about. It was a long, slow drip process of just being in the presence of Jesus Christ and men and women who loved Jesus Christ. And that was it. It took two years before I could open my heart up to, to even consider loving someone again. 
because I really loved Lee. But had I not opened my heart again, and it couldn't have happened without an invasion of the Holy Spirit, if I, I opened my heart again and met the woman now that I've been married to for just over 40 years and have two wonderful daughters married to two handsome men with three above-average grandchildren. <laughs> and that would not have happened had it not been for having loving parents that I could fall into their arms. And I don't want to, you know, I talk about my dad, but my mother was an equal partner in this having loving parents who I could fall into their arms and see a flesh and blood representation of Jesus Christ, which I'm seeing here in front of me now. And I appreciate Wes and Larry and all you guys to sit here and listen and, you know, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <clears throat> I mean, I can, I can keep talking, but I think I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to talk about. I'm better, you know, like I said, if you've got some lines to write real quick, I can um, that as a character. Just one response um, to what you said. I think that we as fathers um, are the road home for our children, the road home to Jesus, just like the road that the prodigal son came back on wasn't the dirt road. The road home was his father's open arms. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a couple questions. I'd like you to talk a little bit about the theater. Uh, maybe favorite role. I mean, you've been an actor, right? Yeah. We're not, this is true, right? We put that in the, in the oh, yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so talk a little bit about that. And then I have another question that I don't know if anybody's ever asked you. How'd you cut your finger off or why did you cut your finger off? Oh, okay. All right. Because when my father cut his finger off on a joiner and I was a fairly young man and I visited him in the hospital, I said, Dad, you think, you think God's trying to get your attention or tell you something? He said, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I go, what, what was he trying to tell you? Oh, to be more careful. <laughs> yeah, I've been an actor for, in, well, it started in, for real in, um, in 1970. So I've made my living as an actor and a writer since that time. Um, I, um, you know, I've, I've gone through many upheavals in, uh, in, in my personal life about, oh, I want this role and I want, uh, and I would, I want this movie and I want to be on this in this play. And so, you know, you have to steel yourself to accept the fact that not everybody thinks you're as wonderful as you think you are. And, and you're not, you know, how many times I've heard the, the thing, well, we liked what you did, but you're not right for this role. So <clears throat> you, you know, you've heard that uh, often, and and so the rejection uh, aspect of or, or the is is very much woven into the fabric of being an artist in general, not just uh, not just an actor. But my my life has been dominant predominantly in the theater, and I prefer that personally over um, doing films, uh, just because it's it's more immediate, and you have that 
you know, you have that wonderful connection with a live, breathing audience. And I love storytelling. I love the whole storytelling aspect of, of what theater does. Because, you know, when we were sitting around the campfires, you know, ages ago, as soon as civilization started from that, there were people who were wanting to tell, to tell stories. And the rest of us were wanting to listen to stories. So that's a wonderful aspect of my life is to be able to tell wonderful stories. And I love, I love that. And I love that I've been able to make a living of it at it. The finger story. I'm not going to tell you the truth because it's not fun. I'm going to tell you what I told, what I tell my grandchildren. Um, <clears throat> they, my wife's name's Kay, and they call her Kami. They call me Dachi, and so, um, which is a combination of Da and Chip, the first three letters of Chip. So um, <clears throat> I just kept telling them when they were asking about it and saying, well, Kami's got it. She's got it. <laughs> And so, you know, Kami's got it. Kami, why do you have Dachi's finger? And so we, that worked for a while until the three of them got together and said, something's not right here. Kami needs to give Dachi his finger back. <laughs> so I said, well, uh, you know, so I had to come up with a story. So I said, okay. Kami and I were skydiving. And she jumps out of the plane first, and then I jump out, so she's a little ahead of me, and when it's time to pull the ripcord, her ripcord won't pull. So I super dive down in there and um, pulled a ripcord, and my finger got tangled up in the ripcord and <laughs> jerked it off. That worked for a while. <laughs> when they got together again and said, now wait, is, you know, so and they started arguing over the fact that Kami was supposed to have it, the ripcord pulled it off, and so, and they came back at me and said, now really, Dachi, what happened? So I said, okay, here's really what happened. Back when I, before I met, you know, this is how I met your Kami. I had dropped out of school, I had moved, I'd, I hitchhiked to Florida, <laughs> And I saw this sign that said, Alligator Wrestling University. <laughs> Come to the Okie Finoki Swamp. And I went, hey, this sounds fun. So there I, I go into the swamp. And I come to the Alligator University. And who should be there but your Kami? She was there. And so I instantly fell in love, and I, uh, you know, she was an instructor there, and I fell in love with her, and I wanted to impress her that I jumped right in to a pool of with an alligator in it and started to wrestle him, and he, uh, he was getting the best of me, and your Kami jumped in, ripped the alligator off of me in the process, took my finger, and she saved my life, and I asked her to marry me. And that's the story we're sticking with so far. <laughs> I've got others. 
I've got others in my back pocket, like rodeos and roping bulls and a piano player and a bar and getting in and, and just things like that, that I've got other stories that I might be able to appease them. But I think when they lay me out in my coffin, they're going to say, how did he lose his finger? <laughs> and they're never going to know, I hope. So that's the story I'm telling my grandchildren. That's the story you get. <laughs> You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media and get your book to print. They edit, package, and help you put your book on Amazon if you're an author, organization, or a publisher. That's harringtoninteractive.com. <laughs>